And we're going to start introducing. The, we're going to start out with introducing the subject of resources. And I once heard it said about this passage, Ephesians chapter one, fifteen to twenty-three. This passage is like ascending up to Mount Everest. Uh, this passage is going to lead us upon a trail to the top of Mount Everest. And um, you're going to see the deep richness of this passage. So before we jump into it, let me just offer a word of prayer and ask the Lord for his help. Lord, we're, we're thankful for the rain. We're thankful to be able to come and worship you. We're thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful that, um, that you put us in Christ and you give us all the resources we need in Christ. So please help us to understand this passage and may we give Christ the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've ever seen any type of, if you've seen uh, any type of documentaries about going up into Mount Everest, you'll notice one of the things that you have to do is make sure your base camp is all prepared. And so it's, a, it's quite a journey to get up there. And so we're gonna just take a, a minute and we're gonna, we're gonna look at uh, some fundamental foundational things that'll help our base camp as we start to move up, the, to, up, up on the trail to Mount Everest this morning. So if you notice the, your outline, you'll notice the believer's resource found in Christ. And one of the things I want us to just ponder on just for a moment is why is the topic of biblical resources very important? In other words, God has given you resources that you need to understand you possess in Christ. You have resources. And um, when we ask the question, why is the topic of biblical resources very important? Let me just give you a few things to think about. Number one, God has provided resources to support the believer. You have resources in Christ. And that is so you are supported in your position in Christ. Number two, you can think about it this way. He has equipped us for success in Christ. We hear a lot about that. We actually have all the resources we need to be completely successful in Christ. And one of the reasons it's so important for us to understand resources is that very fact. We, we've been put in Christ, we have resources in Christ, and the Lord has given us full success in Christ. Number three, we've been given what is needed to have success in Christ. I think I'm being redundant here. Number four, without clear understanding and biblical application, and I want to just pause right there, without clear understanding and application of the resources God has supplied, the Christian will be severely spiritually underdeveloped and even suffer from spiritual malnutrition. I once heard of a man who wanted to survive alone out in the wilderness of Patagonia in South America. And it was an interesting show. He, he was out there for 90 days, and while they dropped him off into this rough, rough countryside of Patagonia, he built his own shelter, he caught his own fish, and he worked through the day to keep himself busy to occupy his time. He lasted for 90 days while he was out there in the wilderness of Patagonia. 
What was surprising is when help arrived to rescue him, they found that he was severely malnutritioned. He was actually eating himself. His body was, was, um, his body was cannibalizing himself. And he was nearly starved to death. Now what was even more surprising is when they discovered that right next to him, in his shelter, were 30 smoked and dried fish. Isn't that amazing? And although aware of the fish next to him, he could not bring himself to use the resources available. He had everything, all the resources that were necessary for him to survive, and yet he prevented himself from taking in those resources. I just think that's an amazing picture. And sadly, many believers are not living according to the riches they have been supplied in Christ. And therefore, we are severely underdeveloped, and many of us are even malnutrition because we're not looking at the resources that God has supplied in Christ. So for the next three weeks today and two more weeks following, we're going to observe this passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. It's a great passage to gain a biblical understanding of the believer's resources found in Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to introduce this subject, and then we're going to move into the Holy Spirit. He's resource number one. And then next week, we're going to look at the believer's resource of security. This morning, you need to know the resource of the Holy Spirit. You need to know that you are secure for all eternity. And then the third resource we're going to end up with three weeks from now, or two weeks, however that falls, we're going to look at the believer's resource the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our greatest resource, as well as his spirit, and as well as the security of the believers. That's what Paul is talking about right here. So let me give you a word of context as we kind of move into this passage together. Paul's writing to Christians, and that's really important. In the context here, you're going to notice, you're going to notice verse 15, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love that you have towards all the saints, he's writing to Christians, and it's important for us to understand the context here. Paul's in prison. It's probably approximately 60 to 62 AD, and it's likely that the gospel was first brought to Ephesus, because you notice we're, we're looking at the book of Ephesians, so Paul, or it's likely that the gospel was first brought to Ephesus by Priscilla and Aquila, a gifted couple. And you can see that in Acts chapter 18, verse 26. Who were left there by Paul on Paul's second missionary journey. And you can read that again in Acts chapter 18, verses 18 and 19 and verse 26. So we see here that uh, Ephesus, uh, Ephesus was, a, was largely a non-Christian population. Although Paul's writing to Christians, it was largely a non-Christian population. The culture was influenced with the worship of the goddess Diana, as well as many other deities. Of course, Rome, uh, Rome ruled the world at that time. But in this particular culture, Diana, the goddess Diana, a deity of domestic animals, a fertility god, and uh, the goddess of love. And... 
what some resources are pointing out is that Ephesus um, <clears throat> was, or Diana was, was, was largely attracted to the lower class, especially the slaves during that time. Now, Paul sees the need to write an instructive letter to the, Christ, to the Christians there, specifically the, the Christians uh, in the Ephesian church. So Paul, is need, Paul sees the need to do that. Um, when we look at the outline, so we're looking at the context, let me just point out a few things about the outline of the book of Ephesians, going from the context to the outline of the book. When you look at the outline of the book, you're going to notice in chapters 1, 2, and 3, the believer is positioned in Jesus Christ. You cannot miss this. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's said that this is heavily doctrine because what it's pointing to is the inward knowledge that we need, the believer's position and resources in Christ. And it's for the doctrines of the inner person. And in fact, chapter um, 1, you're going to notice you're in Christ, and then at the end of 1, you have all the resources that you need in Christ. Chapter 2, you're going to notice before you came to Christ and were placed into Christ, you were dead. And in fact, the, the only thing a dead person can do is stink, if you think about it. You were dead to, to God. You had no will, no motivation, no passions to follow God at all. You were following your own desires. And so we see here this heavily doctrinal three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And in fact, you were dead, and it says clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, he made you alive because of his mercy. He made you alive. And he's actually giving you the gift of faith, the gift of grace. And so you see here, and in chapter 3, it's very interesting because Paul is repeating this theme of Christ and how we're in Christ and how Christ, in chapter 3, how Christ makes the old, which he's pointing to the nation of Israel, and these pagans, Christ accomplishes fulfilling the law and therefore bringing the nation of Israel and the pagans together as one new man. And he makes this doctrinal point, and what he's trying to make a point here is that you've been placed into Christ, you've been given resources in Christ, and the purpose of that is to have full success. Now, chapters 1, 2, and 3 is all about our position and our resources in Jesus Christ. But if you look at chapters 4, 5, and 6, and I want you to notice chapter 4, verse 1, because he's going to mention the same theme in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He's going to mention it again in Ephesians chapter 17. I'm sorry. He's going to mention it in 4, verse 17. He's going to mention it in 5, verse 2, 5, verse 8, 5, verse 15. He's going to mention it five times, this one theme. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. He wants the Christian to learn to walk worthy. This is a massive theme in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Walk worthy. Why have you been placed in Christ? Why have you been given all these resources that are yours in Jesus Christ? Why? So you'll learn to walk worthy. And so he starts there, verse 1, Verse 17, chapter 5, verse 2, chapter 5, verse 8, chapter 5, verse 15. All of those are going to point to walking worthy. So it's important for us to understand the outline of the book. Here's a noteworthy 
mentioned. As we start to move a little closer down and start to develop our base camp as we're ascending now into this particular text, let me just mention um, a noteworthy uh, point here. And it has to do with the structure of chapter one, because I found this interesting. And I've been taught um, in Bible college, I was taught this, and when you hear really good sermons on Ephesians chapter one, you'll also hear this pointed out. Chapter one, you're gonna notice verse three to verse 14 is one long sentence. And, and, and also, what was kind of a, a wonderful discovery for me is when you read chapter one, verses 15 to 23, additionally, the structure of it is one long sentence in the Greek text. And you'll notice it's just about, you know, in your English translations there, you'll see just about one, I think you'll see a period at, at the end of verse 22, but it stays with the same theme. But my point is, when you look at chapter one, you're gonna see Paul with quite a passion about what he knows. And what he knows is that the believer is placed in Christ and the believer has been given full resources to succeed in Christ and to be a glory to God and to be a glory to Christ and to be a testimony in the world. And so when you notice that, <clears throat> Paul's lengthy sentences in chapter one point to his zeal and his understanding caused his understanding. It's causing him a tremendous emotional excitement. <clears throat> and really that's the way scripture is. You know, people often try to get to the emotion first. People sit around as Christians trying to figure out how to gain more emotion. I need to, I'm dry. We're, typical words are, I'm dry. I'm just not hot. I'm just not fired up as a Christian. So people are trying to get to the emotion. And I got to tell you where the power lies. With the Spirit of God, and it, it's with the Word of God. And as you fill yourself, and as you work hard at trying to understand what the text is saying. Then, as the, knowledge, as the knowledge comes, so will the zeal come. And this is where Paul is. So I thought that was noteworthy. So, as we're developing this introduction and kind of looking at the base camp here, we're gonna start to ascend together into this passage of Ephesians chapter one, verses 15 to 23. So let's move onward and upward, up the trail of Mount Everest. He wants them to have a deeper knowledge about their resources in Jesus Christ. And can, this can only happen by God. In verse 17 and 18, take a look at there. And I want you to focus on 17 and 18 because I, I just want you to see for a moment, when you just glance at 17 and 18, let me just pause for one second and allow you to look at your Bible verse there, 17 and 18. Just take a glance at it and read it for yourself. And then I want to draw something out to your attention. Verse 17 and 18. You read that. So you notice, as you're reading that, it's quite a sentence. And do you notice how he has a subject there? And he's... But what's interesting about that, I want you to point this... I want to point this out to you. I want you to follow those two verses and recognize this. Paul is saying... I'm praying, and I want you to notice that word, that, God may give you. I'm praying that God may give you. And then I want you to look at verse 18, so that you may know. 
so that you may know. I'm praying that God may give you so that you may know. When you look at the language here in the original, you're going to notice this particular verb that God may give you so you may know. It's an interesting, in fact, I, I've taken Greek classes before. It's an interesting verb. I, I can't remember the last time I've come across it, but it has to do, it has to do with emphasis. It's one of these strong emphasizing verbs. And it, and it, and it really, it's a subjunctive verb, meaning that it's, it's, it's part of the overall purpose of this particular section. His, Paul's prayer, his purpose is that God may give. So Paul realizes, Paul realizes here that we cannot do this on our own. He realizes to the, for the Christian that he's praying that God may give you so that you may know. So these verses point to Paul's primary purpose in this section. When you look at verse 13 and, and 14, he's made it clear that they have been gifted and sealed in the Holy Spirit. And in verse 17 and 18, you're going to notice, he prays that the triune God, look at verse 17 again, that the triune God would give you the spirit, and in fact, to make known to you the spirit of illumination, to make known to you who Jesus Christ is. That's really what Paul has in mind here. So, we're going to look at verse 15 and 16 a prayer for the believer. Verse 15. Just back up with me a couple verses, and you're going to notice this particular section, the believer, uh, the, the, prayer, the prayer for the believer. And you'll notice on your outline, too, and I'm just giving you an outline so you have kind of a, um, uh, kind of a landmark, kind of a, uh, a way to follow um, where we're heading. And kind of a... Uh, so. So, we're going to look here at... at, at a prayer for the believer. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so when you look here, the apostles affirming his affirming word to the Christian. And that's important to get the context. If you're looking at any particular section of scripture, you want to understand who he's writing to. So you're not misled and misapplying it. He's writing to Christians. He's, as a good leader, he is, Paul is clearly identifying who the Christian is. And if you look at verse 15, because a lot of times in our Christian uh, conversations, we'll wonder, are they a Christian? And we'll talk about how do we know we're Christians and how do we know people are Christians? And so Paul is trusting that people are listening to him. And he says this in verse 15, for this reason, because, of I, because I've heard... They have a reputation. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all the saints. He's identifying two marks here of a genuine believer. I mean, if you have any doubt, these two marks right here will identify a genuine believer. Faith, which is a, a persuaded, you're persuaded by the truth. You have a moral conviction about who Christ is. You have a moral conviction about what truth is. And you understand, in fact, verse 1, he's saying the same thing in verse 1 of chapter 1. He's saying, I'm writing to those at Ephesus who, who possesses faith. And that word there in, in verse 1 has to do with you're, you're trustworthy with the faith. You're, you're true with the faith. You're genuine. In other words, who you say you are, you are. 
And I know that can be a convicting point right here, but he's saying that you possess his faith. You're a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. You're not a perfect follower, but you're a genuine follower of Christ. You come to the end of yourself, you see your sin, you know you're a sinful person, and you have faith in Christ that he is the atonement for your sin. He's the sacrifice for your sin. He has placed you in Christ and given you resources that you need to be successful in Christ. And so what he's talking about here, what he's talking about here is those two marks. One is faith and then the other mark in 15b, and, uh, and I've also heard of your love, your charitableness, your benevolence, your affectionate towards the saints. You love to come to church, you love to function in the body of Christ, and you love to love people. You, you love to be charitable, charitable to people. You love to see needs, and you, you, give, you give to those needs, whether it's financial, or whether it's time, or, or whether it's an encouraging word. And so we see here Paul giving identifying marks. He's, he's, Paul basically, in, the, in this context here, as we look at his prayer, he basically just wants to make sure you know, I'm praying for you, Christian. I'm praying for you, Christian. He's not praying for the non-Christian at this point. I'm praying for you, Christian, and I need you to know this. I want you to know this. God has given you something that you may know. And, 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 and that verb right there, that God may give you, it's, it's very interesting. It's very hard to communicate in the English translation. At least I found that, and, I, and I, even the resources that I've read, it's an agreement that it's very hard to translate because it's in the past tense. God has already given this to you. And yet when you read it in the English, it, it kind of sounds like, they need, they need God's spirit. But he's already confirmed in verse 13 and 14 that God has sealed you in the spirit. And he wants you to increase in the spirit. And you know practically as well as I know, we can do sins against the spirit of God. We can be diverted because of our own fleshliness, our own lustly desires. We can be diverted because of Satan. And so Paul is talking to the genuine Christian, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear, you need to hear this. And so those of us who have faith in Christ and we love the church, and so it's really clear that Paul's identifying the believer in verse 15. So Paul's, he's, Paul's, uh, Paul's endless thankfulness in prayer in verse 16. And you notice that. He has gratitude to God uh, for the believer, and he's giving this unceasing request to God. And if you notice verse 16, and this is where it gets difficult to, to kind of look at and kind of ponder and meditate, because he, he talks about God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, and so you see here, and then he wants the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ to give you the Spirit. The point here, if you look at verse 16 really carefully, you're going to notice Paul's unceasing prayer for those Christians is that the triune God, that the triune God God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, he would allow you to understand this great need for knowledge and to increase in it about the Spirit of God and about the security of the believers and about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Those are three tremendous resources that you need for all eternity. And without those three resources... A person outside those resources are condemned to hell. They will live in eternity without Christ because they don't have these resources that are essential. 
So we looked at here in your outline number point number A, a believe a prayer for the believer, and we're noticing here a prayer for comprehension. <clears throat> we can see that. Look at verse 17 through look at verse 17 through verse 20. Paul is praying that they would comprehend, that they would fully comprehend the the fortune that they possess in Jesus Christ. They have assets in Jesus Christ. They have resources. They have a, they've been given things here, stock if you will, that would allow them success. Warren Wearsby, maybe you've heard of Warren Wearsby. He writes a great story. He reflects upon a great story of William Randolph Hearst. And if, if you know who William Randolph Hearst is, of course, he owned the gigantic paper, but he, but he also owns a mansion here in California, the Hearst Castle, and maybe some of you have been there. We've been there a couple times. I love going there. And one of the things when you drive up the windy road going up to Hearst Castle in San Simeon, you're going to notice he has all these exotic animals. Now, he's passed away, by the way, and this is Patricia Hearst's grandfather, William Randolph Hearst. Patricia Hearst, I'm getting back into history here, maybe... Maybe some of you remember Patricia Hearst in the 70s. But um, William Randolph Hearst, when you're going up into the Hearst Castle, you notice these exotic animals. And then when you enter into the Hearst Castle, the amazing thing is, is that there is art and artifacts all over the place. In fact, I read <clears throat> one particular time, I read that he would actually build a room for the piece of art. In other words, sometimes people have a room and then they fill it with art. He would, he would do the opposite. He would, he would actually build these entire structures for that particular piece of art. And um, one of the things, uh, uh, one of the interesting things about uh, Will, uh, Warren Wearsby's story as he's relating it to William Randolph Hearst, who invested a fortune in collecting art from around the world, and one day Mr. Hearst found a, des a description of some valuable items that he just felt that he needed to have. And so he sent his agent abroad to find these particular valuables. And after months of searching, the agent reported back to William Randolph Hearst that he had finally found the treasures. And so Mr. Hearst was extremely happy about that. What the agent had discovered was that Mr. Hurst had already owned the art that he was trying to possess. They were already cataloged and placed into Mr. Hurst's warehouse. Hurst had been searching frantically for treasure he had already owned. Like Mr. Hurst, believers get in the tragic pursuit of looking for more in their Christian lives while all along they've been given every resource available. And this is what Paul's trying to communicate in his prayer. This is exactly what he's communicating. He's communicating that we're not only in Christ, but given tangible resources that will give you great success for God. Now, if I paused for a moment and just asked you, how many of us really think about these three resources? Hopefully it'll be convicting. I mean, I don't think I don't think we land on the understanding and the application of these resources one time. This is a constant, constant picking up of these resources. 
Look at verse 17 with me. The resource of the Holy Spirit. He's the teacher. He's the illuminator. He's the comforter. How in the world will you know the word of God and all the details about you being in Christ without the Holy Spirit, who's the teacher, the illuminator, and the comforter? Look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you of the wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. But if you notice right there, may he give you the spirit, not a spirit, not a disposition for a man, but he's, he's actually praying that you would understand your resources of the spirit, of wisdom, of revelation, and the knowledge of him. We're going to come back and dig into that a little bit. So follow along with me as we read verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, and now he transitions his thought, and this is what's funny when you look and observe this passage, and you start to take a pen and paper, and you're starting to write, and you're starting to try to outline in your own thinking what exactly is God saying through Paul here to the Christians at Ephesus, and when you start to see that, you're going to notice Paul's transition from the resource of the Holy Spirit to the resource of the security of believers. We have a present and future safety for all eternity. And so notice right here that you may know what is the hope. Remember, the hope to which you have been called. You have been called to an irrevocable calling. It's irrevocable. Now, if I were to revoke something from you, that means it would be taken away from you. But you've been given something that is irrevocable. It will not be taken away. And in fact, you can read that, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I want you to just notice Paul's thinking here and the way he's twisting and turning. And so he's saying, the hope to which you have been called, and keep following along with me in the passage, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And you're going to notice there that we have been given tremendous wealth and riches. And we might not experience it on this, on this earth, like William Randolph Hearst did, or many of the people that we see that has tremendous material possessions, but we are assured the resource of the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And Paul wants us to think about the security that we have about the hope that's irrevocable and also the inheritance that is imperishable. We're given things that are imperishable. Steve Jobs, many of you understand the, the Apple um, tycoon or the, the, brand, the, uh, the beginner of, uh, uh, the founder of Apple. You know, when he died, he was one of the richest men in the world. And yet, it, you know, if you read anything on Steve Jobs, it was a pathetic ending for him. Admittedly, he was saying, these are gaining me nothing, this wealth. As the believer, we have a security about the hope that's ir irrevocable. We have riches that are imperishable. And so you might not see your reward here, but be assured, Christian, you have been given a resource here the security of the believers you can count on. 
And so he makes another little transition when he's saying, and what is the, um, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and continuing on, what is the immeasurable, the immeasurable greatness of his power that you have a position of power? Some of us might not understand that, but you are positioned in a way where the Spirit of God and the Word of God is going to give you power. Who, and what is the immeasurable? And he's talking about this undescribable, this unmeasurable. I mean, when you think about the unmeasurable, you're thinking about something that you, can, you cannot put it in a cup and start counting. It's, in, it's, it's immeasurable. It's immeasurable. The greatness is immeasurable of his power towards us who believe. And here's where he makes an interesting point, and we're going we're gonna to discuss this a little, a little bit. But he gives us this power, and it's the power according, look at verse 19, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Jesus Christ. Now that's a mouthful. And you can see why this is a hard, hard passage to try to really kind of break it down and slow down to see the details so we can go, hey, that's important to understand. I mean, again, it's, it's important to understand Paul's zeal and his passion. I mean, he's just starting out the gate here, writing in a way where he's just <laughs> letting it fly, unfiltered, unfiltered Paul right here, led by the Holy Spirit of God, according to 2 Peter chapter 1 at the very end. The Spirit of God is leading him to just be unfiltered like this and letting us know, and now we have to slow down and try to figure out, okay, the Holy Spirit is a resource, the security of the believers is, is a resource, and we're going to look at that in detail. And then lastly, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. Jesus Christ, <clears throat> by the way, just one last comment about this security of the believers. You know, you might want to, you might try to understand power. We've been given power. Well, how does that translate or even relate in my life? Let me just tell you something, Christian. You have the power by God given to you to be raised from the dead. That's the kind of power he's giving you. You have a power to overcome death. Now, you're not going to overcome death, but I'm just telling you the power that you're going to possess is one that is going to overcome death. Remember when we're baptized? It's that picture of us going down and coming up. Because if you're full of sin, death is going to accompany that. But if you're righteous in Christ, then life and all righteousness is going to accompany that as well. And so that's the power that he's talking about, a power according to the working of his might that, is, that he worked in Christ Jesus. And so, so look at the last point here about these resources. Not only the Holy Spirit, the security of the believers, but look at the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is a great resource to the believer. How often do we just function and we just try to manufacture it? We just try to man-center it. We just try to do things apart from Christ. We try to be genuine, but I'm just telling you, this brings us to a deeper and a, and a, and a richer understanding of how do we succeed in Christ? How do we do that? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so look at verse 20. So, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, now this is your king. This is your Lord. 
This is who you serve. Look at verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Look at verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which he is which is his body. He's the head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we see here tremendous, tremendous resources in Christ. The spirit of God, the security of the believer, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. By the way, when you look at verse 15 to 23, the wonderful thing about it, when you read verse, uh, when you read chapter three at the very end, chapter three, verses fourteen to twenty-one, Paul has a similar section and a similar prayer. So when you look at chapter one, verse fifteen to twenty-three, and you look at chapter three, verses fourteen to twenty-one, you're going to see a similar prayer. Do you think that's important? I mean, Paul's being very consistent with his thinking here. Believer, understand gain greater knowledge of these resources that you have in Christ. If you're not sensing yourself successful in Christ today, this is why. This is the reason why. And so, having observed observed Paul's concern that every believer has a deeper understanding, and not just understanding, but application. That is essential right there. You can't just understand something. You can't just acknowledge something. I mean, Satan and the demons do that, we hear from the book of James. They acknowledge, they hear, it's application. Application. It's putting yourself under the mighty hand of God and praying to him as Paul's praying. Please, Lord, I hear Paul. Please let me see these by your spirit and by your word. So, let me ask this question as we kind of, as we kind of wrap it up. And we'll pick this back up next week. We'll pick it up next week and, and we'll accomplish getting through this and we'll see the spirit of God. We'll see the security of the believers and we will see the Lord Jesus Christ himself, our three great resources. So our friend Hunter is gonna have the microphone and as we end, I'm gonna, or, and Craig, Craig has a microphone, so I'm gonna rely on Craig here. But let me ask this question for class participation trying to wind down myself a little bit here not being so intimidating let me just kind of launch this question out so what should every Christian realize about resources what should every Christian what should every Christian realize about resources any feedback on that What should we be realizing? Well, I mean, for starters, obviously, just (laughs) infinite power that's behind these resources. This is (laughs) so much greater than anything else that we could amass, whether it's armies or political power or any of this other kind of thing. None of these powers of strength are ever going to compare with uh, this power, which is eternal and, as you said, imperishable and and, uh, measurable. Yeah, I appreciate that, Craig. What else? 
should every Christian realize about resources? Yeah, I think uh, go, going off that as well, um, you know, thinking through the, the source of them, and if we don't understand that this is, where the, this is where the power is, we'll begin looking in other places for it, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll adopt, you know, pagan practices, if, if you will, to, you know, oh, well, you know, I need to try meditation, or, you, you know, whatever the, the, the practice may be to try to gain this power that maybe we perceive in others, um, and it's all because we don't know that, that we already have access to that power in Christ yeah. and, you know, through the Holy Spirit and our, our security and, and all that. And so I think, you know, kind of in the negative, if we don't know that, that those resources are there, we're going to end up looking other places we shouldn't be looking. Yeah, really good point. Really good point. Who else? Just add, uh, put out there the, the, the challenge too, uh, for the, from the application standpoint, from what you just shared, is uh, just ask, we need all ask ourselves, are we walking victoriously in this knowledge, which has just been revealed from this passage of scripture? Yeah. Do, you, do, you act, do you walk victoriously or do you act like you're defeated because things that, you know, circumstances are, are, <laughs> are overwhelming you? Really good point. What else? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a few, um, unless anyone else has a, a good point to make. What should every Christian realize about resources? Number one, they're prayerfully given and prayerfully received. Think about that. Paul has this tremendous prayer. And we know that God will give as we ask him, as we pray to him for those. Verse 16, Paul is saying, I do not cease to remember you in my prayer. And then he's asking God the Father. And he wants them to receive this. So they are to be received prayerfully. And number two, our resources come from the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. May May God give you the spirit. In fact, verse 13 and 14, he says that he has. So what is the gap there? Why, why is that not being realized? Number three, they are not self-manufactured. These resources are not self-manufactured. You can't gain these resources on your own. These are resources not available on your own. These are resources that don't come from in us. They actually come from outside us. They've been accomplished by Jesus Christ. They come to us through the Spirit. Number four, they benefit your inner, inner person. And so this morning you might be here and you just might be dragging yourself from one place to the next. You. These, these resources benefit your inner person. When God wants us to be successful, it's because he works on the inward first and then works on the outward. 
It doesn't start outward to get to the inward. That's why this book is so important. It starts on the inward, then it goes to the outward. But they are, bene they are benefits that will benefit your inward person. They are spiritual in nature. And then one primary source in Paul's prayer is the Holy Spirit. And we're going to next week pick it up there uh, about the Holy Spirit. And then we'll get to the security of the believers and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So appreciate the class participation. And let me pray for us. And we will be, uh, we'll take a little break and be, be coming back for our service together. So thank you, Lord. What a rich passage. Lord, just seeing that illustration of climbing to the top of Mount Everest. This is hard work, but we're just grateful for your deepness. We're, we're grateful for these resources that you give us in Christ. And so, Lord, may you get the glory for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.